Worship leaders, worship musicians, and those who love to worship. Last week, we talked about worshiping in spirit and truth, and we talked about the spirit component. But what does it mean to worship in truth? Let's talk about it. Welcome to Blueprint Sounds. My name is Nathan Smith. Thanks for joining me. Today, we're in part two of our two-part series, Worshiping in Spirit and Truth. We're going to talk about what it means to worship in truth. But before we do, I want to give you something. If you go to my website, blueprintsounds.com, you can get access to my free PDF entitled 25 Chart-Topping Arrangement Tricks. If you have a song that you've been working on with your team that you'd like to be more exciting, Download this chart, and it gives you 25 great ideas for ways to keep people's attention throughout a song. It gives you a couple sentences about why each trick works, and then it gives you a song from the radio so that you can hear the trick in action. Again, go to my website or click on the link nearby, blueprintsounds.com forward slash 25 tricks. All right, with that said, let's get to today's topic. So we're taking a passage out of John 4, where Jesus is talking to the Samaritan woman. She asks him which mountain people are supposed to worship on. The Samaritans thought it was Mount Gerizim. The Jews claimed it was in Jerusalem on Mount Zion. And Jesus tells her that you that true worshipers will worship in spirit and truth. If you want to know about the spirit component, watch last week's episode. But the truth component is what we're going to talk about today. Oftentimes we hear spirit and truth and we think that spirit must refer to the Holy Spirit and truth refers to the Bible. Well, to cut to the punch, I believe that when we worship in spirit, we're actually worshiping on Mount Zion, which is in heaven, with our spirits. We access that through the Holy Spirit, and we go to that mountain, which is in heaven. But what about the truth component? Well, if we look in Scripture, there are several passages that talk about Mount Zion and also refer to truth, or the opposite of truth. And so that's what we're going to look at today. We need to uncouple the word truth from the modern way that we understand truth. Oftentimes we think of something being true as something being factually accurate. You know, if you said something that is in accordance with reality, then it is true. Well, that's, that's correct. And the Bible is very much true. It is factually accurate. But I don't believe that's the interpretation of the word truth. So let's go take a look at the opposite of truth and see if we can get to the answer. So here we are in Revelation 14. Then I looked, and behold, the Lamb was standing on Mount Zion, and with him 144,000, having his name and the name of his Father written on their foreheads. And I heard a voice from heaven like the sound of many waters, and like the sound of loud thunder, and a voice which I heard was like the sound of harpists playing on their harps. And they sang a new song before the throne, and before the four living creatures, and the elders. And no one could learn the song except the 144,000 who had been purchased from the earth. These are the ones whom have not been defiled with women, for they have kept themselves chaste. They are the ones who follow the Lamb wherever He goes. These have been purchased from among men as firstfruits to God and to the Lamb. And no lie was found in their mouth. They are blameless. So we see these 144,000 witnesses following the Lamb wherever He goes, and they're on Mount Zion, and the Bible says no lie was found in their mouths. Well, that word lie in Greek is dolos. And dolos means deceit or trap or trick. 
So that word lie in Greek doesn't only mean that it's incorrect, it has intent in it. It has the intent to harm in the word. And we see that same thing in the Old Testament with even more vivid imagery. Here we are in Psalm 24, verse 3. Who may ascend into the hill of the Lord, and who may stand in his holy place? He who has clean hands and a pure heart, who has not lifted up his soul to falsehood, and has not sworn deceitfully. He shall receive a blessing from the Lord, and righteousness from the God of his salvation. This is the generation of those who seek him, who seek your face, even Jacob. So David in the Psalms has the same two components. We're talking about the mountain of the Lord or holy hill and this lack of lying or lack of deceit. He says, who can ascend the hill of the Lord? He who does not swear deceitfully. Well, that word deceitfully in Hebrew is mirma, which means treachery or guile or trick. And that word comes from the root word rama, which means to throw or to hurl like an archer or a bowman. So we see from those words, it's not just lying as in telling a falsehood, but it's lying with the intent to wound like an archer shooting an arrow. In Proverbs, it puts a really fine point on it. Here I am in Proverbs 26, 18, and it says, Like a madman who throws firebrands, arrows, and death, so is the man who deceives his neighbor and says, Was I not joking? For the Hebrews, words and actions were not as different as they are for us. So for a man to deceive his neighbor was like throwing firebrands or arrows. It was shooting him. It was with the intent to wound. If we were to take that proverb and put it in modern terms, we would say that somebody who willfully deceives someone and gets pleasure from it shows psychopathic or sociopathic tendencies. They're not just antisocial, they are dangerous to the community. Those kind of actions display the character and the heart of a person. So let's take it back to the positive again. When we talk about someone being true or something being truth, it's not just, oh yes, it's in accordance with reality. It's more reliable and it's, it's more concrete than that. A wall that is straight and that is plumb, we would say that's true. You can build on that wall. A wall that's not straight, that's bent or crooked, it's totally unreliable. Same thing with a rifle. A rifle that is accurate and shoots where it's pointed, we say that that shoots true. It's not just that it's accurate. It's accurate and you can bet your life on it. That's how reliable that is. This purity of character and of motive is how Jesus describes Nathanael when he first meets him. So Nathanael walks up to Jesus and Jesus says, Truly, here is an Israelite in whom there is no guile or in whom there is no fault. Nathanael says, how did you know me, Lord? And he says, well, I saw you underneath the fig tree. And that's all it takes for Nathanael. He says, you are the Messiah. You are the King of Israel. That was nothing, right? Jesus goes on to raise the dead, you know, heal the sick, the lame, all of these amazing things. To just say that you saw someone underneath the fig tree, that's, that's nothing. That's a party trick. And yet, because of Nathanael's pure heart, All Jesus has to do is lean into him just a little bit and he melts. Well, that proves what Jesus says in Matthew. Blessed are the pure in heart, for they will see God. And the same thing happens in the Samaritan town. So Jesus is talking with the Samaritan woman. She 
leaves and brings the whole town out and says, come see the man who told me everything I ever did. And so the town comes out and they speak with Jesus and they beg him to stay for two days and many people get saved. And it's very clear in scripture, they get saved simply because of the words of Jesus. He did not do a miracle other than reading the woman's mail and knowing about her five husbands. That was it. That's all it took. The Samaritans had that same guileless, earnest nature. They wanted to see the Messiah. And guess what? They were doing it wrong. They were worshiping on the wrong mountain. And it didn't matter because when the Messiah came, they saw him for what he was worth. Contrast that with the next story in scripture. Jesus finally makes his way up to Galilee, which is his home region. And he does heal an official son, but he sighs and says, you people talking about his own people, the Jews, he says, you people will never believe unless you see signs and wonders. Such a contrast there between the Jews and the Samaritans of that town who were so pure-hearted that when they saw the Messiah, they did not miss it. That is what it means to worship in truth. It means to worship with a purity of heart and of motive that you will see the Messiah. So let's recap. What does it mean to worship in spirit and truth? Well, the spirit component means that we actually worship on Mount Zion, which is in heaven, and we access it by our spirits. What does it mean to worship in truth? Well, just like David says, if you want to ascend the hill of the Lord, you must have clean hands and a pure heart and not swear by what is false or have that deceit or guile in your heart. The pure in heart see God. May that be true of all of us, that we worship in spirit and truth. Hey, I hope that video helps. Again, if you need help with your arrangements, go to www.blueprintsounds.com forward slash 25 tricks. Until next week, God bless and goodbye.